Welcome back, and you've just joined us this evening. We're discussing healthcare. My guest is Clayton Samsudin. If you've been with us, then please thank you for staying aboard. If you'd like to call us, 011-484-0468. You can email me on brian at bdtv.co.za, and I'll answer your emails in the next time I do healthcare. But Edith in Camp Space says, how can one provide for medical expenses in retirement? My pension is escalating by 4% per annum. My medical aid with co-payments has increased close to 9%. So um, thanks, Brian, and thanks, Edith, for your mail. Um, if we start out from where we left off uh, on the whole financial planning component, you know, it's important to I think you, you one should have started to plan for for post-retirement medical scheme contributions before retirement. However, um, fortunately, we're in a better space now. Why? Because. Uh, you may have seen that last year infla- uh, increases was just on or below inflation. Uh, I don't foresee it going above inflation for 2023. And so that means it's going to normalize around inflation. And, and I think that's going to help pensioners and, and everyone else. Uh, but in order to seek the most appropriate plan, um, and as you know, and, and we've stated many times, you've got to ensure that your major medical benefits are covered adequately. Uh, and that would mean uh, hospitalization, chronic cover, any type of uh, disease management, those type of uh, uh, conditions and ailments must be appropriately covered. Day-to-day benefits you could uh, perhaps um, mitigate a little bit, uh, dependent on a few things. It's not ideal, but that's the only way. So when, when we consult to, to pensioners, we want to understand uh, what, uh, what are the claims patterns like over a two or three year period and then suggest a plan that's more appropriate to cover those major medical events than, than the normal day-to-day things. Uh, you'd be surprised that on major medical cover plans, uh, it's exactly the same uh, as perhaps one of the lower options in terms of hospitalization and chronic cover. Clayton, you know, when you think about the tax situation, if you're getting money in from a pension, it's fully taxable. Yeah. And if you were co- previously, if you were contributing and you had medical expenses fully tax deductible, yeah. you could have been neutral. Now it's changed because the tax deductibility is certainly nowhere near mm. in the actual increase. But Cyril in Kenilworth says, I'm 62 years old and have never been on a medical aid. Please could you explain this late joiner fee? It's for life and why have I never contributed nor claimed? Is it equitable? Yes. He makes a valid point. Yeah. I mean, it's not as if... You know, the fact that he, wa- he never claimed for medical aid, why are, they, why are they charging him a lifetime join a penalty? So I'm going to go back a few decades, Brian. When, when the Medical Schemes Act was promulgated uh, way back in 1998, um, the late join a penalty scenario was brought in. Why? Because we don't have mandatory cover in the country. So what the time was, an amnesty period was provided where you could join a medical scheme older than 35 without paying a late join a penalty. Of course... That amnesty period is now long gone. So if you haven't joined over the age of 35, you need to pay this late joiner penalty and it is for life. Now the converse argument would be if someone was, let's say, young and healthy and perhaps could afford a medical scheme and joined from the age of 30, the argument would be then I didn't claim for 30 odd years, you know, is it now fair for someone else to join just now because they need a medical scheme? Uh, and so to disincentivize anti-selection, the later in a penalty scenario was brought into being. And, and, and that's, the con- I think, the complication. If we were to implement mandatory cover, we can't have a later in a penalty scenario at the same time. Louise in Hyde Park says, how do we pro- pro- buy private health care for our domestic employees? 
So private And health, that takes me to another question. Yeah, sure. What has happened to these low-cost medical aids? So Brian, um, firstly, private healthcare is now a broad scenario. It's not just a private medical scheme cover. So it's private primary healthcare cover that gives you access to certain private healthcare benefits. We now have prepaid health. We now have vouchers that you can purchase. And all of these things could be purchased by consumers in order to get access, better access uh, to private healthcare. I would say that, you know, start out first looking at a low-cost medical scheme. So when I say low-cost, these are medical schemes where the premiums are determined by income of the premium payer. So, you know, you could find that you could pay a reasonably low premium for really good cover instead of just paying a little bit less and be on these primary health care plans that don't cover what you think a medical scheme does cover. Clayton, would you still have late joiner fees? On the primary health care plan, no. And give an indication, because if you think about domestics, I mean, probably people have a domestics for a lot long, long years. Their domestics made between 40 and 50. What sort of premium would, you, would, 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 would an average starting place be? So, look, a good private, yes. sorry, a good primary health care plan is, I would say, anything in the region of 800 rand. You do get cheaper than that, of course, but um, unfortunately, we would not, uh, as in Phoenix, recommend that because there are many pitfalls with that. Then you can get, uh, you can move up to a medical scheme plan where premiums could start from 1,200 rand. So that's why I'm saying there's a, there's a little difference in, in premium. Now, when I say little, take it in context that if, let's say, something was not covered on the primary health care plan, you'd have paid, uh, have to pay cash out of pocket, whereas on the medical scheme it could have been covered. So you, you're probably more comprehensively covered on a medical scheme. And I think it's also important to realise that you get what you pay for. Correct. So if you talk about lower than 800, you'd say, think carefully, mm. understand, evaluate it. But at 800 Rand for a domestic worker, uh, you could probably find some good health care. And are all the companies offering that? Uh, the majority of them, um, but we do have a scenario now where, you know, I think that primary health care or let's say low-cost medical schemes would have developed a lot more. I think the product providers are ready to do that, uh, but they're kind of hamstrung by the Council for Medical Schemes uh, in terms of ensuring that there is sufficient regulation to allow for those products. And, and that, I think, is the, the big dilemma right now. Why are they dragging their feet? They've been dragging it for years now, and so we have a scenario now where the Board of Healthcare Funders uh, have taken the Council for Medical Schemes to court uh, for dragging their feet. I have got an email, someone doesn't understand all these bodies. <laughs> but Eugene in Bedford View said, I recently had a fall in Zanin and broke my femur. I'm a member of Discovery Medical Scheme, and in discussion with Discovery, they said that I must have the operation in Zanin rather than bring me back to Johannesburg. After being released from the hospital, I needed to be in a step-down facility in that area. Discovery said that rather than being released in Johannesburg to my home, they were quite insensitive and said that it was for my own cost. Is this reasonable? So, unfortunately, Brian, there's something called a, a treatment protocol. And this varies from scheme to scheme. And it depends if the, if the expense is deemed a non-healthcare expense. Uh, then the scheme can't cover it if it's in accordance to its rules and, and treatment protocols. But I do believe that it could have been handled a lot differently and uh, maybe a lot more empathetically. And, and I think we need to, as always, you know, try and see and find a way to support and help members rather than you know, just this is the answer. You know, this, I think it could have been handled a lot differently and better. And then I'm going to give you a punt. That's why you use a healthcare broker. Correct. It doesn't cost you much more. Mm. Doug Douglas in Milton says, 
What is the factor contributing to the medical scheme increases? And are there additional factors to consider because of the pandemic? And what about the comments made about the foreigners who are making use uh, of our healthcare service and not paying them? I don't want you to get political. I don't want to keep <laughs> you out of that seat. Uh, it was the headlines of yesterday, Sunday Times. Yeah. Uh, so firstly, w what contributes to the increase in the cost? So again, let's just, I mean, on the topic, let's, let's keep on the topic of health squared. So we sit with scenarios like the financial stability of the scheme. So that would be solvency, it would be the net health care result, it would be the age profile, it would be claiming patterns, it would be inflation. Those are the factors that, that contribute to, to the, the increased rate of the medical scheme. Uh, because of the pandemic, you know, I think uh, we were happy for a period because uh, the elective procedures didn't take place and it built up a whole lot of reserves in within schemes. But now there's this lagging scenario of uh, long COVID, the increase in mental health illnesses, um, the contribution to diabetes and, and uh, cardiovascular diseases. All of those have jumped up a notch or two. So schemes are going to have to uh, include this COVID uh, uh, impact on, on the increases going forward. And I think what people don't realise is because they didn't take care of their health and I heard of a situation where two years ago someone had a lump and they didn't do anything. Yeah. Now, they've, two years later, they've had it checked out and cancer spread right through their body. Mm. So it's still important that people check the out, check themselves, Absolutely. do all that's necessary. Mm. Ian in Belleville says, the Board of Healthcare Funders took the Medical Council scheme mm to the High Court concerning low-income medical schemes. Please explain, explain, who is the Board of Healthcare Funders and who is the CMS? So the Board of Healthcare Funders is the representative body to which most of the medical schemes in South Africa belong to. So they represent medical schemes. The Council for Medical Schemes is the regulator. So you sit in this scenario where the regulator is dragging their feet in developing and approving or giving guidelines for low-cost medical scheme options. Then, of course, the Board of Healthcare Funders, their core argument is, is this dragging of your feet for how many years now? It's impacting access to healthcare, private healthcare. It's prejudicing product providers from innovating products to meet that need. And we just sit in the scenario of getting nowhere. So we're hoping that, you know, this would land up in the opening of primary healthcare or low-cost healthcare options so that more South Africans could have access to at least a basic package of private healthcare. Clayton, do the BHF have any teeth? I think they do. Um, uh, I think they will... Um, I think they'll succeed in at least uh, bringing this thing to the fore. They may, probably may not win, uh, but we may just find uh, an opening soon. Kenneth in Simonstown asks the following question. He says, in Constantia Insurance was placed under curatorship. How does this impact on me? Because you spoke about the possibility of Health Square being placed in curatorship, mm -hmm. and now they've applied for liquidation. Yeah, so, so of course the two are very different. Uh, curatorship is when the regula regulator places a person in the responsible uh, position to manage the finances of that organization better. In this case of Constantia, what you found, because they're the underwriter, you find the product providers have now 
moving those particular members to other underwriters and members would have policyholders would have a choice to either remain with Constantia or move to the new underwriter. But if we get to that same problem again, the solvency is not uh, as required. Clayton, a quick one. Discovery increasing in premiums yeah. in October. You mentioned that you don't think they're going to be higher than inflation, which inflation is close to 8%. Will Discovery start increasing their premiums again 1st of January? I doubt it very much. It's too close to one another. I think we're going to have another deferment and probably a mid media increase again in 2023. Well, with the rising cost of living, it may be very tempting to cancel one's medical aid. The danger of not having a medical aid scheme is that accidents happen to everyone, even the young and healthy. Before making any changes, you should discuss it with your healthcare broker to find a solution that works for you and your family. It could be that a hospital plan and not comprehensive cover could be an option together with gap cover. Please be warned that gap cover does not replace medical aids. Clayton, thank you for joining sure. me this evening. It's important to note that our program is to provide information and should not be construed as advice. Next week's program will focus on the short-term insurance industry and if you need to get hold of me, my details will appear on the screen. I'd like to thank you for watching and good night.